So 108. Busy day. Yeah, 108. So we that was do... yesterday. I think it's only 106 today. Yeah. Something like that. So will you be upset if I say it's 68 degrees here? 68. <laughs> exactly. At least I'm not in Maui. Yeah. Actually, you know I that mean, we... that's like California weather. Jeez. We, we had a coworker who... She and her family were there and actually had to be evacuated and they lost all of their stuff. They wow. basically just, they got out with just their bodies oh and my gosh. Uh, left everything else there. And yeah. And I was actually talking to our structural engineer for a project that I'm currently on. And she said the same thing that she was in. She was literally just there and within hours of their plane departing, that's when the fire started. Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah. 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 Brutal. We've I, done a lot of work here to prepare for three years ago. Before, So before we moved here, there was a big fire that went through this area and mm -hmm. displaced everyone around here because it actually burnt like three towns down. And oh, the wow. town that I, I'm right outside of burnt down. And so it's crazy like how much work you have to do every year to just get rid of the underbrush, get rid of the, the really yeah. dry grasses and trees that are dead. Anything that's fuel, yeah. you've got to get rid of. And, the you know, we bought this house from an older woman who was not able to get out and do all that stuff. And so she had a groundskeeper who would come in and do a little bit of work every week, but it wasn't a lot of work. And, and so we've just been, we've been doing a ton of that to prepare for the inevitable. It's like they say in right. California, every square foot of California will burn at some point. It's just inevitable. Well, I remember when you remember this, when I had interviewed where you were working and we were contemplating moving to Southern California. And so we started looking around for things that were affordable that could suit a family of five. And we were looking at all these different places and there was like this new construction and it was like really, really cheap. And, and I'm trying to figure out why and come to figure out that it literally is probably like the 15th house that was built probably on that lot from multiple <laughs> burn downs. Right. It's crazy to me that they don't change construction typology, not right. typologies, but, but materials yeah. and, or just like, actually there's so much more that can be done, but because there's such a race and there's to get it done again for insurance right. to come in and, and do all that. And what the, the contractors in the area already know how to build, they're not going to update the way that they build because they know how to build stick frame houses and right, they're already right. in such low supply. You can't even get a contractor who does things differently. And I mean, I'm watching new buildings get built in our town and they are the same exact thing that burnt down before. Right. You know, and you, you're right. I mean, you have to ask why, I mean, the, at least, I don't know if this, a good thing or not, but, you know, just at least with the Florida building codes that, you know, when something 
you know, is affected by a hurricane, if you have to rebuild, you have to rebuild to the new standards, which are pretty stringent, like not pretty stringent, very stringent with mm -hmm. all sorts of product approvals and everything else. So you can't get away with doing things as normal. You, you've got to build yeah. to the, the current wind speeds and it's some pretty tough stuff. And, and you would think that, <clears throat> I don't know in the case of like Maui, but I know that in the case of like Southern California, wildfires all the time and, you know, to continue to keep building that way or not reevaluating the way that your towns are planned out so that, you know, maybe you have a little bit of distance between you and your neighbor so that the fire yeah. doesn't jump and all of these things that, yeah, that people just don't seem to learn from their mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you would think that insurance alone would drive this, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. innovation or at least adoption of materials and methods and those kinds of things, but it's, right. it doesn't happen. It's, it is crazy making, I think, to be in the built environment, to be in the building industry and to see the same things, just we don't learn from our past mistakes in those regards. And it's so interesting to see like way, way past old, old buildings and how they've been able to survive through millennia to then watch the efficiencies and ease of construction and every other air quotey thing that you could cheapness. say and cheapness Cheap. to, yeah. you know, our, our, our mantra is health, wealth, health, safety, and welfare. And we seem to forget the safety and welfare portion of it. I don't even. I mean, I guess health is even risked in, in that potential, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Right. <clears throat> right. Right. It's just like, yeah, it, it always bugged me when we were specking something and the warranties were basically 20, 30 years for some of like the main cladding systems. And you basically, it was just. It was just like, that's how long we expected buildings to last. That's it. It's like, ah, you know, it'll be here for 30 years and then we'll level it and do something else if it lasts for that 30 years. And just like, how, how is that a sustainable way of thinking? That's it true. isn't, obviously. Right. right but right. follow several people online. Um, and there's one called the Thousand Year House. Mm. And there's some people that I know that chat on that particular feed a lot talking about basically building with more longevity in mind mm -hmm. and it, it it always seems to come down to as you said earlier is like the financial metrics of things mm -hmm. and if you put that aside and you just said i'm going to build for permanence i'm going to build for longevity i mean you you have true sustainability, right? And you're not having to worry about, oh, well, you know, I'm building out of plastics or, you know, asbestos or all of these cheap materials because you are building, you wouldn't be building with those because those aren't built for permanence. Those aren't built for lasting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it goes back to, it's like, oh, I wonder how this, you know, house that was 200 years old is still standing. Well, look at the way it was built. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 
and that was a, I mean, that was a different way of doing things. And yeah. I feel like we just have such a short-term view about so many things. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that and there's no incentive for you to spend the money that you are paying for right. this project only during your lifetime for several lifetimes worth of. <laughs> I think there's just no incentive there. Right? It's not that there's no incentive, but people don't have a vision that's more long-term like that. They're just thinking about first costs. They're thinking about speed. How fast oh, yeah. can I get this done? Uh, and, and, you know, lowered first costs. And so oh, yeah. people yeah. do tend to spend less now to enjoy it sooner and not really think too far down the road. So we move into this house and the one unfortunate thing, I love the house, but the one unfortunate thing is, is there's a couple of little portions. One's a, an addition that they kind of enclosed a porch. And of course it's vinyl siding thing. You know, if you've got siding in Michigan, it's going to be vinyl siding. If it's of relatively new construction and this is 1941, but most, most all of it's brick all the way around brick, which is lovely to see because you know normally see like those houses, like new construction, they've got a brick facade, the, the street facing view, and then everything else is vinyl all the way around yeah. it. Right. And so I was sitting there chatting with my neighbor and, and he's just like, well, you know, so how do you like your house? And I'm like, well, I, I love it. It's just like, there's be a few things that I would change. He goes, oh, really? You know, what would you change? Like, well, I'd pull all this siding down and I would change it for a more natural, you know, siding material. And I would do this, 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 and this. And I started rambling off like this laundry list of my wishes of what I would do to this house. And he goes, well, you'd never see the return on your investment. Your property value would never go up to cover that cost. And that's the thinking that put us mm -hmm. in this position in the first place is like, oh, you're worried about, I'm worried about like, you know, is it, I'd love to see this cute little house last, it's what, you know, it's 1941, so... What are we at, uh, 60 some odd years or something like that? Or even longer? More than that. More 80. than that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is yeah. this really? Okay. I. If I was good at math and I realized Maths. that. Maths are hard. And I yeah. realized that my house <laughs> is 82 years old. Wow. Anyway. Okay. Now mind blown. <laughs> Maps. I like how we figured figured that out in real time on this podcast. <laughs> how old your uh, house is exactly, and yeah. but I mean it's it easily can stand another eighty two years if. But the 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 problem is is that how shoddily the vinyl siding was put in, it's going to just water's going to get behind the walls and it's going to start you know rotting out some of the stud work and things like that. And those are the things that I want to prevent. Those are the things that I want to to fix. You and don't even care 80 years from now, though, Cormac, just like your neighbor. <laughs> no, I mean, I I care that it would still be here for 80 years. I mean, am I going to be yeah. here for 80 years? No, but I would love for the house to still be here. It'd, it'd be fantastic. And yeah. it's, uh, wow. Yeah. So... <laughs> All of these things are are in competition with each other, all of these ideas, because, I mean, there were things that I did on my house in Southern California that I would not get the return on investment oh, yeah. for. I wouldn't, I would not. And then there's other things where it's like, I actually got a better return on it because I did the work myself or whatever it was, you know? And so I'm sure it, it kind of evens out over time, but I mean, like putting a pool in 
for how much it costs to put a pool in, mm-hmm. your property value will not go up that much. Right. Like it's pretty much a guarantee. So you really have to want a pool and use the pool all the time like right. to really get a return, which is going to be like your enjoyment of it is like your actual return on investment. And so right. things like you're talking about upgrading the siding on your house to a better, more durable material for various reasons. I Most people are going to look at that and say, nope, not There's, worth it. They, if, if I did that, people around the neighborhood would look at me like I would, you know, was the biggest idiot on the planet because they're like, you're never going to get that back in your house when you sell it. Like, why is everybody go into buying a house thinking about right. getting out of it? Right. You know, and, and that is why we end up with the stuff that we have. That's why when we sit in front of clients and we talk about things and we talk about different materials and we talk about the permanence of some of this material, they're like, I don't care. I'm not going to be here in 20 years. And you're like, oh, okay. That's a public school you're talking about. Somebody right. else will be here. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, Whereas I look yeah. at, look at where my wife teaches and the school that she's at is I'm, I think it's the, probably the teens, twenties. So 19 teens, 1920s. So let's just, let's just call it a hundred years old. And though there are some areas in there that need some work, other than that, it is an absolutely gorgeous, beautiful school that was built to last. And could it last a lot longer than some of the stuff that we're building right now? Absolutely can. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Take the same maintenance as something else would. The only thing is, it's like, oh, well, you know, we, I was talking to somebody, they had a ga- gala that, you know, they were raising money for like school improvements and school maintenance and things like that. And they're like, oh, we want to change all of these doors for security reasons. And I'm looking at all these doors. I'm like, well, what, what are you thinking about? doing to these doors. And they're like, oh, well, we're going to change them out to metal. Like, why would you change them out to metal? First of all, you're going to be installing hollow metal. They're going to eventually rust and rot because, you know, you're going to have like ice and snow and everything else up against the door. And so you're going to have, eventually they'll rot out and you're going to have to replace them. Except for right now, what you have is you have a hundred year old solid oak doors that have been there as long as this building has. And they don't look any worse for wear. So at the very, at the very best, what I would suggest you do is maybe retrofit some form of like security hardware at best, leave the doors. And if you're worried about like security of, you know, say, I I hate to say school shootings and things like that, but if that, if that's, you know, one of your worries, a hollow core or a, you know, hollow metal door isn't going to stop a bullet any, you know, any more than the solid wood doors. In fact, I'd, I'd, I'd venture to guess that the solid wood door, not doing any ballistics testing, would probably stop it more. It might. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a tough business. I mean, it, it is interesting to think of, like, there's those other perceptions. And it's like, you really want to get rid of these perfectly good, according to what you just said, doors yeah. to put in different doors that are going to have their own set of problems mm-hmm. in probably a shorter amount of time, but it looks and feels new now. Again, I th- feel like this is just a very kind of short-term view of the, you know, what might look like as progress theater. Like we've, right, we, right. we look like we're making progress. Exactly. We look like we're, 
we're doing this, but we're actually not doing it for, for the, for the right reasons. Glad you said that because I mean, that's what in, in, let me kind of paint the picture. So this is a private school in a, an affluent area of the Detroit Metro area. And again, a hundred year old building, beautiful building. It's kind of campus Gothic, um, just an absolutely gorgeous building. And they're saying, oh, well, we need to upgrade our security. And to be quite honest with you, they really don't. I mean, as much as much experience as I have with school construction, it really isn't as bad as they think it is. There, there are some things that they can do, like not prop doors open. Security cameras have certain mm-hmm. things in place that could prevent all of that. But, but ultimately, it's actually a very, very secure school because there is no point of entry that opens up out into like areas where kids are at. And so it actually is designed far better than some of the things that we do now. So with all of that, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm watching them and they're selling this as security upgrades and people are like obviously biting on this and they're bidding and they're of saying, course. you know, I'll, yeah. you know, I'm going to bid this, I'm going to bid that. And they raised, it was obscene. They raised I, I think somewhere around the neighborhood of like $200,000 in like a couple of hours or uh, like 15, 20 minutes, sorry, a couple of hours, not mm. a couple of hours, 15, 20 minutes. And it was all in the guise of security. And, and I don't think that they're not going to think about security, but I don't think that there's thinking about security in the right way. Mm. And just like, I even dropped a, a, you know, so like, well, you know, what exactly are you planning to the and they're just like, oh, well, we'll figure it out. And it's just like, you need to find somebody like, say, an architect who right. actually knows how to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was just, it was interesting how, you know, and then, and then just the fact that you should see these doors. They're, they're these beautiful hand-carved oak doors. They're just gorgeous raised panels, you know, all of this, you know, beautiful ribbing. And I don't, you know, know the proper term for some of this stuff, but I mean, they obviously go well with the architecture of the building. And then to then think that you're going to get some essentially very cheap metal doors. Gray, th- gray metal slabs. Yep. Gray metal slabs. And then, and then what? Oh, we want to maybe put some windows in there. Well, you know, yeah. now you've just reversed, you know, like this whole thinking that you had about making this a fortress. Well, and that's the thing that they are actually going to be doing is this is the prisonification of schools, right? Yes. It's, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. I, I remember one time when a new ed spec came out for a school system that we were working with. And they said that all windows need to be a minimum of six feet off the ground to the sill. You know, no connection to the outdoors anymore. Oh yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you don't get the, the benefits of of the, nature in the classroom. The, right? the whole philosophy of connecting to nature, natural daylighting, and all gone. of this other stuff completely gone. I mean, all of the the things that you tout as pluses for your educational environment, you get thrown out the window. And thankfully, yeah. cooler heads have prevailed, and there's ways of designing around all of this stuff. But it just, yeah. It's all, it's a, the other thing that pulls on that thread is like the idea of, I mean, I don't know how many classrooms you've designed. I'm sure it's a lot. Same with me. It's like you want this 
these windows. And then you go back, you know, the, a year later when the teachers have moved in and there's shit all over the windows. Right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And it's like they there's tape and there's construction paper and there's all you know art projects or there's you know whatever the things are that go, that they need their wall space too right mm -hmm. and so there's all these things kind of pulling at each other uh, for you know what's the best oh, yeah. way to actually have a classroom right it's yeah, yeah there's a delicate balance <laughs> there that the architect does not always win and we always had this let's get in to get our photographs before the teachers get in. Oh, yeah. You know, because otherwise, you want this like lived in look and you want it to, you know, look like it's been set up. It's just like, okay, set up just a little bit. Don't like. Without the tchotchkes, without yeah. the beanie babies. Or with, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just talking to my wife uh, today. And now that she's switched from being a classroom teacher to a resource teacher, she doesn't have to set up classrooms. And she goes, I would be in my classroom right now setting it up if, if I was still in a classroom. And she goes, the thing that I really miss is really, you know, zhuzhing up her uh, blackboards, all of the different boards that she has, and then decorating the door and everything. And I remember all of this because who's actually in there doing all of it? Me, not it's you. Know, you yeah. I'm there with her. She's directing me how She's to do supervising. things. supervising. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's her idea, my execution. Other yeah. than me, it's just like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, maybe we do this instead of this. And she's like well, you know, I kind of want to do this. And I'm coming from an architectural, like designer aspect of things. And she's coming from a teacher, a practical use kind of application. And it, yeah. you know, yep. ne never seems to work. Well, you got to have everybody at the table when those ideas, those, when that's being oh, yeah. ideated so that, so that you can actually get something that works for the people who are going to be using it. Did you ever deal with, I don't know how we got on this topic, but did you ever have to deal with the the tax strips in the hallways, they could basically, so there was just this, this like cork and metal strip that would, you know, be up above the lockers in a, in a, like say a K through five school. And so that they could like hang stuff up above the lockers and, you know, it's just like, welcome back to school or, or whatever, just something to add color and flair to like the, the corridors. And there used to be all these old schools that would have like, you know, just this one long strip and, you know, you would just do this or tax strip and, and you would just do this, you know, like all these different stuff up and down there. Well, the new regulations were that you had to like break it up and have a, a gap between there. So just in case there was some form of fire, it didn't actually like basically catch one end of it actually treated as like a wick that would then oh my gosh. <laughs> burn all the way down the corridor. There's just That's all crazy. these weird regulations that, you know, that, that we just had to deal with in for designing schools. It was just a really, really odd constraints that they had. It's like, hey, we want this or we want this. And it's just like, why does that even remotely make sense to anyone? But you are the client. Yeah. There were uh, very few corridors in schools in Southern California, A. <laughs> everything's outside yeah. because it's unconditioned space that way it's cheaper and uh that you said another word that i'm not familiar with you said lockers yeah that, that was always a that was always something that got cut out of the budget because they, uh, they couldn't afford it like schools are so underfunded there was just oh, no yeah, budget yeah. for lockers ever yeah. everyone was a you had to you have to keep your own backpack you gotta watch your own bag all day long you, you, there's no place for you to put that here we're not going to pay for those 
So yeah. depend on like what grade level. I mean, you know, obviously in like high school, they would have like the lockers. Middle school, you know, probably have lockers because you've got more and more books. You're changing classes and things like that. But in elementary schools, we would typically have like, say, cubbies and hooks when you got into the classroom. Yeah, that was the, hooks. Yeah, that was yeah. the substitution for lockers. in rail. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The only uh, lockers that we did in high schools, middle schools and high schools, were in the locker room no. when somebody had to do a change of clothes. Everything else, okay. you had to carry that giant, like students oh, would walk Lord. around the schools with rolling suitcases with their yeah, books in them because they had to have everything with them at all times. My daughter's backpack, I weighed it at the end of last year, it was 32 pounds. 32 pounds. And I'm surprised they're still using uh, analog books. And they're not allowed to have rolling backpacks. Oh my so gosh. Because think they about, clog up the hallways, right? Yeah. And so think about all of those kids basically hunched over carrying oh, 32 scoliosis. pounds. Oh yeah, my. Right. My daughter had a, an injured knee from soccer before we moved. And then. It's never really been able to heal because she's always like, you know, I see her lugging this backpack around and she's kind of trudging through. And I was just like, this kid's never going to heal. I mean, her, her knee yeah. still, she's still got a bum knee. She's 15 and she's got a bum knee. Like, yeah, well, live with that. And it's just like, how? Yeah, because these decisions are being made by an executive in an mm -hmm. administrative position who carries around like at most a MacBook Air or an iPad. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. They yeah, don't exactly. live the life of a student. They, they don't have to get out there and move around this stuff with, with 32 pounds of books. They right. don't have to do that. Well, then they say, well, you know, you've, you know, you change classes, you don't have to carry all of these books, but you know, they give them six minutes to basically get way across yeah. campus back and forth between this, this, this high school is three stories tall and you've got multiple, got like way over there, way over there. I mean, like the, the high school that my boys went to when we were still back in Maryland. There's no way any kid could stop at their locker to switch out their books because the school was so huge. There was, um, I think there was close to 3,000 students in this school. Yeah. And so you're fighting a sea of students to get to your class. So obviously just the, the two-way traffic is, is bare enough, but then, you know, to try and stop at a locker and, and open your locker and then have to get way back across campus or something like that. It never happened. So we went through several backpacks throughout the year just because there'd be holes, you know, like, oh, my strap ripped or the books were too heavy. And so they've like fell through the bottom. And you'd be like, well, you know, I just bought you like, you know, X backpack or Y backpack. And it was like really, it'd be stuff that we would carry out on the trail that would be pretty durable. But not when you put it in the hands of a teenager with 32 pounds right. of books. Right. And so then, oh. you know, instead of buying lockers, we are filling yeah. landfills with uh, yeah. broken backpacks. And yeah, awesome. not, only, not only do they have books in their backpack, but they also carry their laptops. So, mm -hmm. so that's, I mean, got what, like a eight, you know, seven, eight, nine pound laptop and then the books and all of that other stuff. Right. So it's just, it's, it's silliness. It's silliness. So, wow. and to be quite honest with you, you know, now that you think about it and it's been a while since I've done a, a high school, but I would, I would almost 
like try to convince them not to have lockers. Then you utilize that space for more educational space, or maybe have it, you know, with, you know, cubbies for the high schoolers inside the classroom, something to actually make it a little bit more user-friendly than doing something with a bunch of lockers that they would never, my daughter it's saw. It's also her. a security thing, right? Like the, hey. the, what do people keep in those things? I mean, I'm sure it's a, a nightmare for security well, as my, well. My daughter said that she put stuff in there the day, you know, the, the first day of school. And she never saw that stuff until the last day of school when she was supposed to empty what? out her locker. Oh my gosh. You know, I was just, it was wow. like, oh, that's where that jacket went. You know, that was mine, right? But yeah. So yeah, I mean. And, and again, that goes back to this whole permanence of sustainability train of thought, right? Is because we're only, we're designing for, I don't know, this, this, this old way of doing things. We're never designing for the new way of doing things. You know, the, the textbooks she brought home, what is easily got to be about a three and a half, four inch thick history book that she was supposed to read four chapters this summer. And I was just like, well, I was looking at this book and it's clearly an old book. And I'm looking at it and it's just like, is there like an audio book? Is there an online, you know, version of this? Is there anything that would get this massive book off your back every day? She's just like, no, nope, this is it. You know, it's just like, you'd think that all of these book manufacturers would make a killing. It's just like, you know, instead of schools holding on to these books for so long, that they would buy new material that would be digital, at least for like the older students that are actually going to be going into a digital world when you go into you know college or when you go out into the workforce, you know, you're going to be in a digital world, right? And so prep them for it, get them ready for it, make them, yeah. make them actually like used to what the next step in their life is going to be. No, like, <laughs> like I remember, I remember my, uh, my middle child said, I, he goes, I never opened this book. And he was like holding up a book. It's like, I never opened up this book one day in my life. I just, hmm. and he got an A in the class and I, I don't know how yeah. that he did it. How does that but, work? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, he, he talked about what we were learning and I went and I went online and I learned, watch like, you know, dumb history videos or would read stuff online instead of. Uh, my daughter last year, she had to read like, you know, Frankenstein and I think Wuthering Heights and some other things and she got her all audiobooks. You do you what know, works. You do what yeah. works. Well, it, it is the, the opposition of doing things the way we've always done them, which is coming right. from the institutional side. Right. Right. Or the corporation side or, you know, the, the industry side in our case. Mm -hmm. versus like what's actually happening in the world and not adjusting to that or not willing to make concessions to adjust to those things and just kind of turning a blind eye and saying those don't exist i can't see those i don't want to see those i don't want to know about them because then we have to change right if i know about those things then i have to address them i have to change yeah well that goes back to the way that we're doing our buildings right and people yep. don't want to change they don't want to update the standards for these. And that's why we're, you know, constantly having to replace buildings that are, that succumb to natural disasters or, or something else, just because they're, we're just, it, it's easier to do them the way that they were and just keep replacing them over and over again. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. without really thinking about, okay, how are you, how are you living now? How are you going to live in the future? And let's prepare for that, not prepare for now to the point where you yes, sell yesterday. it. And, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's like, <laughs> how long do you plan on living in this house? Uh, I'm, I think maybe like 20 years. Okay. Well, we'll give you a 20 year roof. Right. So let yeah. it be somebody else's problem when, when you leave or sell or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and here, I just wanted to ask you a crater lake and, and stuff like that. But here we got into a crater of talking oh, about another kind of crater, a different kind of crater yeah. altogether. I mean, that was all pretty boring anyway. We could talk about Crater Lake. We could. So my wife had her family come out and visit. And the I should say that differently. My wife's sister and her husband came out to visit for a week. They live on the East Coast. They live over near where you, kind of where you used to live. They're Mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania. So they came out and stayed with us. So this is the only way we're seeing family is if they come to us now. And yeah, it's we're we're used to being the ones who travel and get out and see them, but because this is new and we're still figuring it out, and we have so much to do that people are coming to visit us. But mm-hmm. yeah, we got to get and so and so. Therefore, when they come here, we get out and, and do stuff around here. So we're learning about the area through exploring when people come to visit. So we got to do a couple of cool things. We went to the redwoods which are Northern California. We went to Crater Lake National Park and we went to Mount Shasta. All of Mm -hmm. those are within a couple of hours from our place here in Southern Oregon. So that was the lay of the land is kind of what we're figuring out still. Yeah, I was actually surprised when I looked at where you're at on the map. For some reason, I thought, I don't know what I thought to be quite honest with you, but I thought you were a little bit further away from California, but you're actually not really that far from the, you know, northern, you know, California border. border. Yeah. 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 And because of that, like, I think we haven't experienced a full on like summer here yet, but I think, you know, what a lot of people have talked about is a lot of wildfire smoke comes right up from California into where we are here. And Hmm. summers are a little bit tough to deal with because of that because california is always burning so um well yeah. we'll see we're, what happens we're, we're learning to uh deal with the canadian wildfires i know oh. i know yeah it's like you can't escape it anymore it's it's everywhere and you know and and even that caught them off guard because i mean you know there's wildfires here there but not to the extent that they have been and you right. know like you said you're prepping your the property for, for that eventual, you know, clearing out the underbrush and all of that other stuff and kind of like clearing it out so that don't have those fire jumps and, you know, things like that. But, you know, it just caught them off guard. Uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not, not good. So the, the redwoods, I mean, we love the California redwoods and there's several state parks and a national park. We went to one of the state parks and, it's just incredible to see these 300 foot tall trees that have been there. Like they're just enormous, right? Um, California has like this really interesting tree story. Like they have redwoods and they have sequoias right. and 
I think they're related in some way, but they're they're the biggest trees and the tallest trees in the world, basically. And they're, it's interesting how that can all happen in California. But man, what an what an incredible experience! The redwood forests are just they're just amazing, totally amazing. Which of those trees, if and I could be completely wrong here, that are sort of like interconnected, aren't they? I yeah, I'm not sure if either one of those are interconnected. I know okay. there are several species that act like that, like right. uh, even even I, I and I'm trying to. I just lost the the word the name of them in my head, but but there are there are several trees that it, like it's a interconnected organism. If right, you see right, a right, grove right. of them, like yeah, they're yeah. actually attached. Yeah, so I don't think that sequoias or redwoods are are actually like that. Okay. But, um, okay. but anyway, so yeah, that was cool. And then and then the, the the other place we went to was Crater Lake, and Crater Lake used to be one big volcano, and now the lake is actually. You know, it's the filled in the I bowl. Think it's a nut. It filled in the bowl. There's there's a little island in there called Wizard Island, and <laughs> that's the actual cone uh, that you can go hike around. I guess when they're running the boats in Crater Lake, they actually helicoptered tour boats in that the National Park Service oh, wow. runs, oh. and you can do a boat tour of Crater Lake. But that wasn't running when we were there. But um, so this is the third time I've been to Crater Lake, and this is the first time actually driving to the north side because it wasn't covered in snow and we hiked down to the water and so that was that was super cool to go down into you know the mountain and and experience the water it's not fed by any streams at all it's a hundred percent snow melt oh wow. and this lake is uh 1900 feet deep it's the oh, ninth geez. deepest lake in the world i think it's the deepest lake in north america if i'm remembering that fact correctly and uh it's cold. It's very cold. Deeper and than very great, clear. any of the Great Lakes? You'll have to look oh. and, and tell me. Yeah. But it is, uh, I think it's the deepest freshwater lake in North America. I think Lake Tahoe is like number five on the list or something. It's like, uh, which is another lake that I have a lot of experience with. But I'm real-time yes. fact-checking here on your yeah, site. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> NASA.com. NASA observatory or earth observatory.nasa.gov says that the deepest lake in North America is the great slave lake Ooh, in that? it's basically roughly the size of Belgium and it is 20 2020 feet deep and that is you're gonna help me out here you can tell me what it is, but you can't tell me where it is. All right. Thanks. It is in the Northwest Territories of Canada. Okay. So maybe the United <laughs> States. Maybe it's the deepest lake in the United States. That's yeah. probably what it is. So, yes, the top five uh, deepest lakes in the U.S. are Crater Lake, Lake Tahoe, uh, Lake Chilean, um, Lake Superior, and then Lake Penn Oriole. Rail, don't mm. know how to pronounce that properly, and I will butcher it a couple times. <laughs> yeah, but for, but yeah, so measure. yeah, actually, wow, I didn't realize that it. So Crater Lake is just over six hundred feet deeper than Lake Superior. Yeah, wow, it's a lot. That's that's that's, that's deep. 
and they have explored it with submarines too. So, uh, like they helicopter those puppies in there too to go explore. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting is like Superior's got a couple of like islands, like a national park called Isle Royal, that the only way that you can get there is either by boat or seaplane. And it's the only way that you can get there. And, and it's just kind of cool that that that's one that uh, I think we're probably going to go to when we take uh, the kid up to school in a couple of weeks. Oh, nice. So nice. hopefully we get to go there. You have Summer to make vacation part two. Yeah. Nice. You have to make. Oh, it. yeah. Yeah. The, although I did pitch this here, you'll, you'll like this. And he, cause you've made mention about, you always try to do something architectural on your, on your vacation. So we're taking the, the kid up to school and it's in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And so we have one of two ways that we can get back down, come back down through the, the length of the upper peninsula and then down the full length of Michigan. And that's about nine and a half hours or so. If it's just like straight driving and not stopping or anything. And a little bit longer, probably about 10 and a half to 11 hours. You can go through Wisconsin, through Chicago, and then kind of like into Michigan and in that way. Mm -hmm. And I was like pitching that idea to her. I was like, but, and she goes, well, we just went to Chicago. Why, why would you want to go back to Chicago? I'm like, I don't want to go to Chicago. I actually want to, while we're in Wisconsin, hit the Frank Lloyd Wright Trail. Yeah. And cool. even if we just hit just a couple of them, I've driven past the Johnson, the Johnson Wax building. That's it. That's, that's I've, I've never stopped to see it and anything else. And mm -hmm. apparently mm -hmm. he's got a great tour there and stuff. And there's just, is it wing spread? Is another house of Sounds his. familiar. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there, there's a couple of different ones that people, I was just mentioning it to someone and they're like, oh, you need to see this. Oh, you need to see that. And it's just like, I don't know how, how much time you have, but you need to see this. And of course that is far more time than all of the, oh, you need to see that is far more than what <laughs> the time I have. Cause, right, oh, I right. still need to get back and go to work. Right. But yeah, so if so, it'll be one of those two or yeah, cool. Or the third one is my wife's option of is keep it cheap and just get home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'd be better to see stuff. I, I you know. I'm going to try to pitch it to like her. That. I'm going to try to pitch it to her. Okay. So I need you to look up another thing here since you're looking things up. Is you Look up the uh, tallest mountains in the U.S. and tell me where Shasta falls in that. It's over 14,000 feet, but it's not. it's not as tall as Mount Whitney which is the tallest in the Western Hemisphere, I believe, at almost 15,000 feet. But Shasta's 14.1 or 14.2. So like the 10 tallest mountains in the United States are, and I will start with number 10. Practically all of these are in Alaska, but Mount Hunter, yeah. Mount Bear, Mount Hubbard, uh, Mount Fairweather, Mount Sanford, Mount Blackburn, Mount Bona, Mount Foraker, St. Elias, Denali. Oh, okay, so all of the tallest ones are in Alaska. But so let's do the continental U.S. Uh, because I think that is probably more of what we where we want to see because 
Mm-hmm. There we go. Yes, continental U.S. So we have highest summits in, no, I don't, keeps taking me back to. So we've got Mount Whitney, Mount Elbert, Mount Massive. Well, it's all in the name there. Mm-hmm. It's Massive. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mount, Mount Har- Harvard, Mount Rainier, Mount Williamson, La, La Plata Peak. And I'm just going to look up Shasta. Yeah, that's a lot. Shasta's like 14,100 something, I think. It's 14. Oh, well, because like Denali in Alaska is uh, 20,310. Yeah, yeah. In Mount Whitney is 14, 14, 14,505. Oh, okay. So why? Internet's failing you. Internet. Ugh, the internet. We will get there. We will get there. Mountaineer. It's not in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah, it's over 14,000. It's a big mountain, and it stands alone. I think that's one of the interesting things about mountains up here that are all, you know, volcanic like this. Like right. Mount Mazama, which is now Crater Lake. Uh, Mount Adams, Mount Hood, Mount Bachelor. All of right. these, Mount Baker, like in the Cascade Range, there's a bunch of single mountains that just kind of work their way up the range. Whereas in California, you you drive by Mount Whitney and you can't even tell which one it is because it's way it's back just, and there's a bunch right. of other peaks. It just looks like a jagged right. point in a series of jagged points. And so when you're here and you just see the one standalone mountain, it's like yeah. iconic. You know, it's it's incredible. The snow doesn't melt off of them all year round because there's glaciers on them and they're so tall and it's super cool. And and we had it on a perfectly clear day. It was just absolutely picturesque, gorgeous, uh, really cool. And and so we we didn't spend a ton of time there. Obviously, it's going to be a, a a thing we go back to several times because it's like an hour and a half away. But we did a hike and we you know a bunch of waterfalls and and you know. It was beautiful, just just really cool, and and we didn't see any UFOs. That's probably the most disappointing thing. I guess that's no, a man. standard occurrence around Mount Shasta. So, so here I'll put put a little bit of perspective here. So the I had to, of course, just for curiosity's sake, look at the highest peaks in the eastern U.S. Mm-hmm. So on the east coast, take a while guess what the highest peak is. I have, I have don't no don't worry don't worry about the name. Just the height. Sugarloaf Mountain. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I actually, uh, that the that's actually, I think, the, one of the highest peaks in Maryland. Okay. Which I don't know if it's actually a mountain per se or if it qualifies for one. More of but a lump. Yeah. Yeah. Sugarloaf Mountain. Yeah. Right. So Mount Mitchell at coming in at a whopping 6,684 feet. And Mount Washington. Very, very different. Yeah. Although I will say, though, Mount Washington has registered some of the coldest coldest weather in the northern hemisphere and so it's just it's insane how cold it can get up there but that only comes in at 6288 feet and that's wow. in Vermont I believe you don't even breathe hard oh, New, Hamp- New Hampshire <laughs> yeah New Hampshire <laughs> whereas like I've been to the top of Mount Whitney and you you can work super hard and feel like you could never get enough air. Like even at 14 and a half thousand feet, there's just not much oxygen. It's really difficult to move. So 
Yeah, fun, fun stuff. So there was uh, the there was a stretch of seventy two hours that the temperature did not exceed negative fifty. Oh gosh, that's brutal. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, Dang. And oh, so the coldest. Holy, holy, the coldest that it has ever been on, uh, um, oh, so let's just, let's preface it by saying coldest wind chills, coldest wind chill, um, 100 and negative 108. Oh my God. 0.4. Ow. 0.4. The <laughs> instruments are so precise at those low numbers. Exactly. exactly. It's just a just um, those are where they shoot those videos where they throw the pan, throw the pan of boiling water and oh, it yeah. turns into snow as yeah. it's yeah coming out of the pan. Yeah. We tried that <laughs> a couple of times and where it was like in the twenties and stuff in Maryland, it didn't work. It just like it still just dumped. Like right. apparently oh, it's gotta the, be probably minus forty for that oh, to work or something. Yeah, easily. I would imagine. Yeah. Jeez. Well, on this episode of Weather That Architects Brave. Yeah. Or the weather episode. Yeah, that's it. The weather episode. Well, oh, the things what that come else? into our head. What else you got? Oh, what else do I got? I did actually want to ask you about something, but could be for another time.